name is Matthew Frumis. I do a lot of radio listening. I deliver newspapers in the middle of the night. The BBC is my, is my friend. What makes the BBC unique is that it treats the entire world as, as equal. So in other words, what's going on in Mali is no less important than what's going on in, in Massachusetts. Between NPR, the BBC, and of course Amy Goodman, WJFF has news. It's very difficult to really get un, unfiltered news feeds. We have it of WJFF. The local programming is unique. The people take it extremely seriously. I love Wagon Load of Monkeys, Hillbilly Heaven, the, uh, the various talk shows. You know, there's so many shows we do listen to, and Kusar Grace's show, The Music Emporium, it is extraordinary. He finds music that nobody else plays, and it's just an incredible amount of diversity in his music uh, background. Now that it's on an hour that I can listen to, I never miss it. What makes WJFF unique is that there is literally something for everybody out there. And if there's a, a music show that I don't like, I know it's serving some demographic that loves it. When I like everything on the station, then the station is not for me. And I think that uh, that's really what makes it unique. My name is Matthew Frumis, and that's what WJFF means to me. Let us know what it means to you. Call 845-482-4141 and make a contribution of any amount and um, consider being a sound supporter, which we are. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Matthew. Join Matthew and the many people that have made WJFF possible through the years and uh, through our summer pledge drive. We need to hear from you now at 845-482-4141. Call now at 845 845- Four eight two four one four one. This is WJFF Jeffersonville, W233AH Monticello. And uh, coming up, we've got this interview. want to let you know that uh, there is still uh, a couple of watches on. There's a flash flood watch in effect until midnight tonight for our listening area and a thunderstorm watch 516 in effect until 10 o'clock this evening, 10 o'clock tonight. Uh, thunderstorms are very likely. We're looking at the radar right now. There's still systems uh, blowing through our area from the east to the, I'm sorry, from the west to the east, moving slightly north as they do, right on through uh, northeastern Pennsylvania and uh, the Catskills region. And tomorrow, Thursday, high of 81, chance of thunderstorms is likely. Tomorrow night, overnight low 65, and there's a chance of showers looking ahead to Friday. Partly sunny and hot, heading into a hot weekend. 90s forecast Friday right on through Sunday. It looks like it might cool off a little bit again after some rain on Sunday night. But we'll be keeping an eye on that for you. This is WJFF, and uh, now it's time for that interview. We're talking about doing special programming uh, tonight here during our summer pledge drive and also here on the eve of our Community Service Awards. We have our Community Service Awards at dinner. It's a going to be a barbecue-style dinner over at the Arnold House. All the information for this is up at wjffradio.org. It's also where you can go to make a contribution to our community radio station at wjffradio.org. All the info is up there. And uh, right now we're going to hear a special interview with one of our honorees. This is Duke Devlin. If you haven't heard of Duke or haven't heard from Duke, longtime supporter of the radio station and longtime community member, and we know exactly how long he's been in the community. He'll be celebrating 50 years in our area coming up because he came 
for the Woodstock Festival. And then he stayed, and he's been a fixture ever since. And, in fact, he was a historical interpreter at Bethel Woods uh, from the time that it opened up until just a few years ago. Bethel Woods is located at the original Woodstock site, and Duke was there telling people the history and the story of Woodstock long before there was even a Bethel Woods there. Pretty much as soon as the festival was over, he was giving people information. We're going to find out how he came to the area, what he experienced at Woodstock, and what he's seen since then. Here's Duke Devlin. Hi, my name is Duke Devlin. We're sitting right here at the corner of the uh, uh, most famous uh, hayfield in the world, I'd probably say, uh, next to the monument here at uh, Bethel Woods, the the site of the Woodstock uh, Music and Art Fair. Did you just come here for Woodstock, or did you ever come up here? Oh, no, I've I've never been here before, prior to Woodstock. No, but, you know, it's it's funny you should say that, though. You know, I, I was born and raised in Newark, New Jersey, but my family had a cottage over in uh, Elk Lake. Uh, it's over near Honesdale. Uh, uh, so as a kid, we used to go up there and camp, camp there and, and do things there. Oh, by a week or two after Woodstock, somebody wanted to take a ride to Honesdale. So he said to me, you want to take a ride with me? I'm going to Honesdale, Pennsylvania. But I knew Honesdale, but I thought he was saying Honesdale, like an end. Like, like I, a different place. Yeah, yeah, I thought it was a different place. And then uh, when we went down 652, we got on Route 6. I said, oh, man, that's, I knew where we were at. This is where we have our uh, our summer places right over here. I, I, I couldn't believe that. I was like only like, like uh, 40 minutes away, 45 minutes away. So so you're saying that after Woodstock, you, you stayed in the area, but you didn't know how close you were to where you used to stay when you were a kid. I didn't know how close you were to Pennsylvania. Matter of fact, when we got here, I, I know I hitchhiked there with another guy. We were coming down uh, 17B, you know, this was about a week before even, though, you know. And I said to him, I said, you know what, man, I, I think I think we're near Canada. He says, no, no, we're not near Canada, man, I'm not near Canada. I said, the man back there said, this is upstate, we're upstate New York. I said, oh, wait, see that sign up there? It says Lake Superior, two miles. I told you we were near Canada, man. (laughs) So you were on your way here about a week before the festival. What had you been doing up until that moment, and what spurred you to take the chance to come on out here? Well, you know, we're living in a commune, you know, in West Texas, near Amarillo, near the New Mexico border. I was really on my way to Houston because I was going to meet a friend. We were, we were going to go to Alaska because he was telling me about this great pipeline that they were building up there and a lot of work and you get a lot of money and all that stuff. Anyway, uh, they picked me up hitchhiking and I stayed at their commune. And uh, this one guy says, uh, you know, I have to go. I want to go to, uh, you know, you heard inklings about Woodstock. You heard little inklings about it. People were talking about it, you know. But, it, you know, a lot of rumors were around those days like there are today, you know. And, you know... Come on, and hey, field it. Come on, these people aren't going to plant a farmer field. Come on, come on. And and I, I brushed it off. And then uh, this friend of mine, he wanted to go to New Hope, Pennsylvania. His girlfriend lived there at the time, and he wanted to. So we, uh, to make a long story short, he couldn't find anybody to go with him. So I, he asked me. I said, No, I, I'm familiar with that area around that way, but I'm not. You know. But uh, I, I live in Jersey. I said. And so I said. Uh, I'll tell you, I'll go with you. I'll go with you, but we're not going to stay long. So we hitchhiked up here. We went to uh, New Hope uh, first. And then, that's you know, on the way up, you, you heard more and more about this festival. And, and then New Hope, it was really, everybody was really buzzing about it. And they even had these pamphlets, you know, because, you, know, you know, the, the college crowd was targeted for this event. So, you know, there's no such thing as Google or Internet back in those days. So um, they had these boxes and boxes of... Uh, 
pamphlets mailed to these big colleges. So he came along with one of his, on, on that pamphlet it read, you know, uh, the, the who's who of the culture. You know, the king and the queen, Jimmy, Jimmy and Janice. And it's going to be on a farm. It's going to be for three days. It's going to be a petting zoo. It's going to be an Indian village. And on the bottom it said, breathe air. It's never been breathed before. You know? Now, how cool is that, man? You know? <laughs> Anyway, that's that's that 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 led, that led us up this way. Then, and then we we stayed around a couple of days down in New Hope, and then we hitchhiked up here. Like, matter of fact, the I got here on my birthday. My birthday was August the tenth. I was twenty six years old, but I turned twenty seven here. When you actually come out here for the festival, you're here before the crowds. Like, what do you see? What's the first thing you encounter? Oh, the first thing you encounter is a lot. There's a lot of people. A lot, lot, lot of action. A lot of stuff going around. A lot of traffic. But I I didn't call it a lot then. Because I thought it was the, the average deal, you know. This, this is what the place looks like. This is what happens, you know. And uh, and afterwards, all over with it. Everything, everything, it was, you know, nothing here. You know, it's, everything slowed down. Anyway, um, last, the last ride we had, I remember, it was in a Volkswagen. I was in the back, and I had this sea bag, and I had a little drum with me. And, oh, God, I was, I was like, packed, you know. And uh, trying to sleep and woke up. Finally, the guy pulls over, and he says, you know, you guys are going to have to get out of here. And he had another passenger with him. And he says, you guys are going to have to get out because I have to find a place to park. And this is, they were parking all over then, too. So uh, we, we got out. We got out right here at Herd Road and uh, 17B. There was a three-bay horse barn there at that time. Well, it was converted that, that weekend into a hamburger, hot dog, Watermelon, uh, cigarettes, uh, you know, type thing, ice cream, you know, and uh, and uh, those three bay windows, and there was a lot of lines on each window. On the, uh, I I ordered a hamburger. I had fifty cents in my pocket. I said, "How much is a hamburger, man?" This is a dollar. I said, "Dollar for a hamburger? What are you going to open up a Holiday Inn here next week, man?" <laughs> he says, "He says, you know, cause hamburger was about fifty cents back then." So he says. Uh, I need some more helpers there. If you want a job, you can get the job. I'll give you $2 an hour and all you can eat, you know. So I jumped over the counter. My friend, he wandered off. I don't know where he went. And uh, I stayed there with that guy and worked with him. And uh, he had me on the one day. Then he had me cooking hot dogs and hamburgers and cutting watermelon. All the stuff there, you know. And he had he had, he had, a, he had, a, he had, a, he had a eight-track player with some music there. And he, he says to me, hey, I got some music. I, boy, I took all my kids... Hey, Jax, he says, yeah, I don't know what's good that these kids are like. You you play it, right? So, yeah, and he had some Led Zeppelin and stuff in there like that. So I was, and the people were coming in, man, you know, the speakers outside, you know. And uh, uh, I stayed with him for quite a while. And then I was going to then I was gonna leave. Oh, I was covered with grease, covered with grease, cooking, you know. And uh, he said to me, no, I work in a hotel out here. I, I uh, he, was, he was a chef in the hotels out here, one of the big ones. Great guy, I don't I don't know about hotels or who he was or anything. He says you want a job? I got a job for you. You're a good worker. I said nah, I don't I don't want a job. I said I want to, I'm going to quit now. He said oh no please don't quit. He said I need you yet. Stick it out for a couple more hours and I'll give you a, a bonus. I said okay. And I stayed all night. And the next morning I, I, I uh, he when I quit he told me I can go in the back down there. He had like places to lay down. You want you want to rest before you go lay down. So I did. I slept for a few hours there. Turned out he owed me like 50 bucks, and he gave me an extra 50 bucks. The guy liked me. And then he gave me a shirt, because my shirt was my shirt was just greasy, and, and, 
I took it and took a shirt and just threw it away. And he gave me a shirt. He was a big guy, too. He gave me a shirt that was a football shirt. said, number 77. Because <laughs> people were calling me that. Hey, 77, how you doing, man? You know, so, so uh, that was that. And then, you know, after that was over, and then we mingled down here and mingled all around. And then we just, we, just, we, just, we just moved around talking to different people. You know, people setting up tents and camping and... Uh, Playing music, we, you know, we just, we, you know, it was no big deal. It was, it was a festival, you know. It wasn't, you didn't know what was going to be. You didn't know what was going to happen, you know. And nobody knew where the hell it was anyway. Everybody's saying, you know, like one of these days, that way, you know. You, everybody's going in different directions. But it was down Herd Road. Matter of fact, my friend and I, we got, day after that, we got we got separated at, uh, out there by Herd Road. And I haven't seen him since. <laughs> I, I ran into, I ran, you know, I thought about that. I, I've been telling that story for years. And, and But I, one day I was laying in bed and I remember, I said, geez, I did run into him again. I remember now. I was walking down 17B during the week there just before the show because there was a liquor store down there to buy some wine. The Bally High wine was a big hit in those days and, and Boone's Foreign Apple wine. And so I, I liked the Bally High. And I was on my way down there. I was on my way back. And I had these jugs with me, you know, in a bag. And, I'm <laughs> and uh, I hear somebody yelling, hey, Duke, hey, Duke, 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 Duke. You know, people all over the place, and I'm looking around like that. He comes running out of the, about the cemetery up, up there in 17B. He comes running out of there, and then people camping all back in there. Hey, man, I ran into some friends of mine. Come on, come on down here with us like that. I said, no, no, I got some friends I met up here. I said, I'll see you later on, man. I, whoever thought it was going to blow up to that big, you know. I never saw him again. Wow. So the guy you came all the way out here from Texas with, apart from, from seeing him when he's camping in the cemetery, you never saw him again after that, 50 years later. You know, I, I thought with all the media attention over the years, you know, that, uh, you know, me might have spotted me or heard me or something, and nothing, and nobody ever got in touch with me. Listening to a special, brand new, exclusive interview with Duke Devlin here at WJFF. I have more coming up in a moment. Slime the family stone as they were recorded almost 50 years ago, just up the road in Bethel, New York, in a former farm owned by Max Yasker. 845-482-4141 is the number to call. And uh, we're just taking a short break here during this interview with Duke Devlin. We'll be getting right back into it in just a moment, but we're pausing to remind you this is our summer pledge drive here at WJFF. You can support the radio at 845-482-4141. Support our station at 845-482-4141 by making a contribution of any amount. Uh, this interview is already such a hit. People are messaging me while we're presenting it. People are calling the station. I'm hoping that you're going to be one of those people, and I hope that you're going to call and contribute. If you haven't given yet during this pledge drive, we need to hear from you. So call now, 845-482-4141. 
Okay, and just a quick reminder, of course, one of the reasons that we're talking to Duke, not just because of the 50th anniversary of Woodstock is coming up, but because also we're honoring him at the Community Service Awards uh, barbecue dinner and extravaganza happening this Saturday. And it's happening uh, up at the Arnold House. All the information is at WJFFradio.org. Let's uh, go back now to the interview. And, and in this section, we're going to hear about uh, what Duke uh, saw at the festival. And uh, we start off by asking him about his impression of what he actually saw 50 years ago at Woodstock. My impression, you got to remember, I was way up there in the stratosphere, man, you know, I mean, you know, so my impression was, you know, I was smoking flowers, chasing pretty girls around, you know, so, and uh, I, I really wasn't on top of the music like most of the people were. I mean, I loved music, I liked it, and I still love it, and I always did then, but I knew songs, and I knew tunes, but I didn't know who did them. I never, I wasn't good on names, you know, so uh, when Richie Havens came on, I didn't know who the heck he was, I didn't know who he was, a lot of people didn't know who Richie Havens was. Because Richard Havens came out of the village. But, you know, he blew the place away, you know, not just that one song. Right. Well, oh, he did. Yeah. And he soothed the crowd, you know. He talked, you know, hey, you know, he's talking right directly to you, you know. Hey, you people are really groovy, you know. Tomorrow they're going to be reading about you in the paper, man, you know. He's talking like that. So he, he was pretty cool. And then, you know, things went on. And then you had uh, hung around the vendors up there, walked around up there. And I come up from the side. I was never... I was never in front of the stage guy, you know what I mean? That wasn't my gig. It, 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 it isn't today either, you know? But um, it was, there was so much going on. The hog farm was up here, you know? You know, the hog farm was the commune that uh, was hired by, by Michael, uh, by Woodstock Ventures, to be the police force, you know, P-L-E-A-S-E, police force. And they, they knew that most of these kids that were coming here we're going to be urban uh, kids, you know, from the big cities, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, what have you. And a lot of these kids never slept under the stars in their lives. So the, they were supposed to teach them how to camp. And, you know, they're like the Boy Scouts, you know. They were pretty cool to hang out with, too, because, you know, they are they're more my age, the, the hog farm guys, you know. We used to like we used to make a little fun at the, the bell-bottom babies, you know. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we thought we were the cool man. You know, oh, we were cool, you know. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, and we uh, it was it was a wonderful it was a wonderful festive atmosphere that was unbelievable, you know, you, you know it, you you couldn't help but feel that sense of community that you know I am you and you are me you know you could feel you could feel that everybody was one you know everybody cared for each other, you had things going on man you had things going on I mean, not not just on that stage but all over things were going on it was different little uh, setup deals here you know about the peace and. Things against Nixon and the, all kinds of stuff was going on. You know what I mean? It seems like a lot of people have this impression of, oh, Woodstock, a bunch of hippies came out to it. And when you look at it, it seems like, you know, the masses, the numbers were all of these people from like high schools in the tri-state area out in Long Island and New Jersey. And a lot of them were just, you know, regular kids at their high schools that they weren't coming from communes. They weren't necessarily part of the counterculture, but they 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 were interested or they were curious and they, they came out for that reason. But like like you say, this generational slight generational difference between some of the 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 older young people. And like you say, these bell-bottom babies, people that were like new to the counterculture. Yeah, it came. It it it, it swung that way, but you know, uh, 
there was a lot of fad and fashion mixed with with the younger crowd at school, you know, to 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 maybe look like a hippie, act like a hippie. But they also they also carried the hippie theme too. I mean, you know, um, you know, every town, every village, every city, every community had their section of hippies where they hung out. You know, it might have been behind the school, you know, it might be at, around the playground. It might be near the town hall. They all hung out, and every, every all of them. So every town had these little bell-bottom baby type things, you know, and some older people too. But you know, and it's not, somehow it seems like they everybody converged here. You know, everybody came here, and it, and the world was looking. Now we didn't realize, it, but the world was looking at us. We didn't realize it. You know, they wanted to see if we practiced what we preached. They wanted to see. It. They want. They want to see this. This thing's going to go down wrong. You know. Everything else went down and wrong around it, but everything else went right. So it worked. But it took everybody. It took everybody together. You know, these uh, and then a lot of people think that everybody was on drugs. Everybody took drugs. You know, all right. There's a lot of people on drugs. There's definitely no. You can't deny that. And uh, probably a lot of kids were introduced to it for the first time here too. But there are those that refuse it. Wouldn't take it. I mean, they, you know, they were here for the music and have a good time too. You know, but. Doesn't make one better than the other, but I mean that's I, that, the whole thing worked together, all pulled together. You know, if you look at Woodstock, <laughs> so many ways, you know, it, it can be looked at as a colossal failure. What was intended to happen did not happen. You know, like what I mean by that is, there was far too many people. The weather conditions weren't the best. Sanitary conditions were horrendous. You know, the the, the sound system kept breaking down. You had the third largest helicopter fleet on the east coast of the United States. Flying in and out of here. How they got how they got that album together without hearing all that choppy traps that were going on. It's amazing. And they they had some technology to figure that one out. <laughs> but uh, you know, it's things like that. You know, and then then they then they throw a handful of drugs out there and stuff. You know, in the mud and all that. All that. Everything went wrong, but everything went right. So why? And you were saying like the world the world's watching, and there's so many things that went wrong before it and went wrong after it. And we're talking about in terms of there being actual violence or something happening, but here it worked out right. Why do you think that is? Why do I think it is? Because something special took place here. That's why. This is a very special place. I mean, everybody got together, and we all had the same the same feelings. You know, if anything started to erupt anywhere or an argument started, people jumped right on it. Hey, man. No hassling here, no hassling. It's cool. It's cool now. Make up here. Shake hands, you know. So that, that, anything, any fires that were started, they were, they were put out immediately. And there wasn't that many. And uh, But it, something something took place here. I mean, you can still feel the vibe here, you know. You know, later on, as you know, I went to work for Bethel Woods as a, 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 sight, a sight interpreter. And I did the, the, the artist tours. And I had uh, I had uh, David Crosby in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a golf cart, and I drove him down to the stage area down there. We turned and turned the cart around where it was facing up the hill. And I said, David, this is what it looks like, what you saw in '69, but without people. Yeah. And he's looking, he's looking at him. He goes, "You know what, Duke? The vibe is still here." So then, so you know, that's there was a vibe here, and then and I and I, and I agree I agree with David. The vibe is still here, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Crosby, Sills, and Nash, as recorded at the original Woodstock Festival in 1969, singing Guinevere. This is WJFF. We're in the middle of an interview with Duke Devlin, and uh, we've still got uh, three more sections to this interview, but we have to pause right now to ask you for your support because it's still Summer Pledge Drive 2019 year, and we want to thank Anonymous for checking in, saying that they love uh, the broadcast, they're loving the interview uh, with Duke. So thank you so much for calling in your contribution. So to join Anonymous right now and uh, all the many people that have helped us so far this pledge drive, all you have to do is call and let us know what you can give. It doesn't have to be a lot. It doesn't have to. It should not be more than you can give. It should be something that you can afford to give, something you feel good about giving. Call and let us know how much that is. Call now at 845-482-4141. We're going to get into the next portion of the interview. Remember, you can contribute online at WJFFradio.org. We'd love to hear that phone ring, 845-482-4141. In this next section, uh, we talk to uh, Duke about what happened after Woodstock, and uh, it's a longer story than you might think. So let's uh, start with the question of uh, how is it that uh, Duke Devlin went from being a Woodstock attendee to a Sullivan County resident? Well, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't intend to stay. You know, My life back in those days was like somewhere to somebody leaving breadcrumbs and i was following the line of breadcrumbs you know what i mean that led here and uh i had no intention of staying there not at all matter of fact i was i wanted to leave and i landed a job with some guy over here in white lake painting a couple bungalows for him and one thing led to another and i met uh i met my uh my, my i got a girlfriend met my wife and then i uh, got married and uh, uh stayed stayed on you know stayed on i I mean, I'm speeding the whole story up. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of things that were going on in between there. You know, I mean, I mean, I, I, I landed a job on a dairy farm over here. and stayed there for a good year or so. And, uh, you know, I seen this, this, this I seen the, the following year, you know, Max, you know, I got to meet Max, got to know Max. But the following year, Max uh, uh, had it all plowed up in 1970. It was all put into corn. The whole field was put into corn, corn, you know. And people would come, people came. That first anniversary, and that field across the road there was um, open. You know, no fence. People would tent over there and look at the cornfield. <laughs> and uh, the following year, it uh, it was put into half corn and half alfalfa. He row cropped it, and then after that, did that for a few years. And after that, went into uh, went into old Timothy Hay, which is, which is there now, but it's all mowed. But um, you know, I seen all the changes happen. You know. And um, people would show up. People would show up around the anniversary time. When I say people would show up, a few hundred, you know. There was no traffic jams. There was no, you know. There was a. Is this still the seventies now? You're talking? Yeah, seventies. Yeah, in seventies. People would show up. You know, it was, it was, there was no. How they found the places was beyond me sometimes because there was no marker or nothing. You know. Of course, you know, I, I had that. We built. Me and my wife built that farmers market over in Jefferson. We were neighbors with WJFF. You know. I, I watched him build that place, you know, when uh, Malcolm uh, and his wife came, Malcolm Brown. <clears throat> and uh, uh, it was wonderful watching that thing being put together, too. Let me tell you, that was cool, too. Anyway, but uh, 
Um, to make a long story short, little by little, and and then in 1989, you know, every year there, there was a guy who used to show up here and he put a tent out there and he had to get a, he get a generator and he'd run the movie and people get in the tent and watch the movie and it was Wayne Sayward. He Wayne did design the monument here. Wayne has since passed away, so he was dedicated to the thing. He was not Woodstock, but he but he was a, a big fan and. Um, so, so once you put this monument here, that kind of beats things up a little bit. People, more people started to come, and then the 20th anniversary came. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm missing a lot too because the 10th anniversary, uh, uh, they had a big uh, press conference here. Consular, remember that lawyer consular from the city? He was a, a big shot lawyer. Did they do something at one of the hotels in '79? Were they at the, one of the hotels for that? Yeah, no, they did it right here in the field. There was no show or nothing. Right. No show. Yeah. I can just put. So we'll we'll, we'll get to the twentieth in a second because that's that's like an era that I remember more clearly. But this is interesting to me to hear you say that people were coming even the year after. I figure after it happened in the seventies, you know, people didn't really care. People weren't really, you know, looking for anything here. And, and that really didn't start happening until the eighties, but you're saying there was, there were some remembrances going on. There were some people that were looking for it. Every year, every year, every year people came, they came every year around, around the anniversary time. And then, then they popped in too, uh, you know, throughout the year too. Not like, not like today, of course, but some people had an interest in it, but it didn't get the publicity. It didn't get any publicity. You know, you didn't read about it. And, uh, in 89, uh, I had the farmer's market. I was working at the market in the morning. I worked till noon. The girls would come in, and then I would leave. Then I, because I had a job in the school in the afternoon, I'd go to work at uh, Sullivan County Bosey's from 2 to 11. And so I just had, I had just gotten out of the shower, getting ready to get ready to go to work. The girls were in the market. We had an intercom from my house to the market, and the uh, girl calls says, Duke, Duke. I said, Yeah, what, what's up? Uh, oh, somebody's here to see you. I said, who is it? Uh, well, somebody from France. It's from France. I'll be right out. <laughs> right? So I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, you know, I thought somebody from France got a bad peach or something. You know? <laughs> so I come outside, and here's this beautiful woman from France. She, I, I didn't think she had a French braid in her hair. She had two guys with her, and they were, they were Americans, photographers. And she said to me, are you Duke? I said, yeah, I'm Duke. Uh, Duke, you uh, you came to the Woodstock Festival? I said, yeah. And you didn't leave? I said, no, I'm still here. What can I do for you? So she says, uh, we sit down, because I was selling picnic tables, too. We sat down at the picnic table. She, and she says, uh, uh, she asked me all the different questions, you know, where'd you sit? And I, you know, that's a, yeah. you know, they ask every time. But anyway, I said, let me ask you a question, please. She said, go ahead. I said, uh, how did you find me? She says, uh, well, we were over at the Bethel site over there, and, you know, uh, it's the 20th anniversary, and we were asking the people, we asked some of the people in the town, well, uh, they thought of the festival, and how long did the hippies stay? Oh, they, they, they didn't stay that long, but there's one still here, and he's over in Jeffersonville. She says, that's how I found you. I said, oh, okay, that's cool. And, but, you know, she put that out on the AP. Now, I didn't, I didn't know what the AP, AP, AP was the AMP to me. I didn't know what you were talking about. <laughs> You know, so she put down Associated Press, and uh, I mean they came from all over. I mean, you know, from Germany, Israel, uh, you know, the Cincinnati Post, this that. I mean, and my wife was getting all nervous. She goes, "Oh, they're stirring up your hippie past. They're stirring up your hippie past." I said, "I didn't do that wrong," you know. But anyway, 
that's when things that's when the, that's when the uh, Woodstock woke up the sleeping giant was awakened that year and you know how it was you were here then and everybody came from all over too again but not not as big but it was good to see it like breathe you know right starting in the late 80s the 20 year nostalgia kicks in and people are coming out and they're looking People are having gatherings, but they're not supposed to, and the owners don't want them. The people are over here. There was, like, all this interest, but nothing sanctioned. There was no Bethel Woods. There was no one central thing. There was this nebulous Woodstock nation of just enthusiasts, you could say. Those days, days, that's when people came here. They drove it out in the field, set up their tent. We built built the stage down below, you know, and and people came in with uh, generators and People who knew how to string wire and and do microphones and stuff like you guys do here, they got they got it to work and it really, really worked out good. And uh, it was a success. We made it a point, you know, in making announcements. Don't everybody pick up after yourself now. We want this place to stay nice, you know. For you know, we don't you know we don't want to tarnish this thing. And and uh, um, and they, and they did. Everybody did. You know, everybody showed up. But then it got. It got, started to get a little bit out of hand, started getting too packed, and then uh, you know some of these uh, some of these heavy heavy drug dealers started coming in, infiltrating it, and that that was scary. And uh, so then they, they they tried to shut it down. They tried to shut it down. The following years, with uh, they spread chicken manure over it. When I say they spread chicken manure, they, I mean they had dump truck after dump truck after liquid, you know, oozing. I mean, you can drive down this road with your windows closed, man. And you 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 were gagging, you know. So I mean that, that you know, it was sad to see that happen, but it was still still an interest though. You People were- still came. Pain and Pierce and Robespierre, Warren and Anton, Luther King and Lamumba, Paul Kantner and Grace Slick, formerly of the Jefferson Airplane, along with David Freiberg, singing Jack Trailer's song, It's Flowers of the Night. Coming out of the third portion of the interview with Duke Devlin. I'm Jason, and we're pausing because we need you to support the radio station right now at 845-482-4141. We're learning all sorts of things tonight. Brad Mann is here. Brad, did you know that they spread that uh, one year, uh, the owners of the original Woodstock site spread chicken manure on it to keep uh, celebratory people from coming and hanging out on it. This is before there was a Bethel Woods. This is in the early 90s, and they wanted so much to keep people up, they spread lots of manure there. That's How'd they do? We heard. Um, <laughs> like, Did it work? You, you could barely hear Duke on the fade out there, but he said like people still came. <laughs> uh, but you know they found mm. other fields to hang out in. Um, it's called Hector's. That's yeah, <laughs> now there, there's, there's Hector's, there's, there's Roy and Gerald's. We're going to try to tell some more of the story, because this is what people have forgotten, that there was yes. this lawless days of no king between when Woodstock happened and when Bethel Woods opened. The where, Wild East, if you will. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we're trying to tell some more of that story as we approach the 50th anniversary here at WJFF, and Duke's helping us out in a big way tonight. Anyway, I'm Jason Brads here. We're asking you to support us at 845-482-4141. we got a couple more portions of this interview that we need to get to soon, but we do need you to call as well. And I just wanted to bring Brad in to kind of draw a con- contrast. We're talking about stuff and music and culture happened 50 years ago right now that we're featuring with duke and then you're going to come on next uh, at the top of the hour and you're going to 
feature music. How how long? How many years ago did this music come out? One week play? ago. One week ago. Less than a week ago. <laughs> my entire show, everything that you hear on the show, is one week old. And that's the way we do it here. And everything we've been listening to today is fifty years old. So that breadth of uh, available knowledge that WJFF brings to its listeners really is impressive. If you think that's important too. Please help support us. You can. 845-482-4141 is the number to continue to support your community radio station here in the Catskills, Northeast Pennsylvania, and all of its wonderful programming spanning half a century of music. 845-482-4141 is the number to call and show your support. Do that now. Let us know that you're here. Contribute whatever you can. We've already heard from Anonymous during this special broadcast. Remember, you can pledge online at wjffradio.org. It's also where you can get information about our special community service awards uh, that's happening, where we're honoring Patricia Adams and Duke Devlin. So that's why we're talking to Duke tonight. wjffradio.org or 845-482-4141. Let's get back into the interview here. And in this next section, what do we have uh, Duke talking about? Um, how he goes from being a guide at the Woodstock site unofficially to it happening uh, officially uh, as part of uh, uh, Bethel Woods. That's uh, the next part of the story that we're hearing right now. I was doing that, I was doing that in, even, in the, even in the 70s. I, I mean, I would drive by here, you know, and uh, I'd see people here. And I would stop and, and they'd say, can you tell us, is this the right field? We don't know if this is the, the, the yeah, this is it, yeah. I'd point stuff out to them. Then Michael put out a book called The Woodstock Revisited. And uh, and the, and the center, centerfold had a picture of the site. As a matter of fact, the picture's right here. I brought it with me. As the centerfold. And uh, they, so I bought one and bought the two pages, and then they had it laminated. So I'd come over and I'd show them this picture. So this is what the stage was. You know, this is this is where you know the people sat, and you know, and uh, so, so that I was like, I used to call myself the museum. They were building the museum. I said, I'm the museum, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So, but anyway, uh, I did that. I did that, and then you know, helped helped out, and, and, and it kind of gave me a good feeling, you know, to help them out, you know, and have a little knowledge, and they they they, they really absorbed that. So it was kind of fun for me, like it became a hobby or whatever, a passion. And uh, I did that deal lots, you know. As a matter of fact, I did it a little too much. My wife would come hunting for me. You got work to do. You got to deliver this to that. So I got to go, people. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, and I, I was young, and I think the first time I encountered you would have been in the record, you know, when they're when they're interviewing you around Woodstock time, you know, probably in the the late '80s, early '90s. And I remember clearly an anecdote that you tell of like when people come back and you're telling them what was where, and you said you were here, and somebody brought his friends, and he said, "Yeah, I wasn't actually here. Don't tell my friends." He was a doctor from Philadelphia. Yeah. You remember who I'm talking about? Yeah, I know exactly. I remember clear, clear the bell. <laughs> It was all kinds of cars here, and I had to park up on the road, and I walked down through. I came down here, and there's people all standing around here. And this guy, he's standing on the monument, and he had, a, he, had, he had a red T-shirt like this. He had a red T-shirt with a, with a P on it, you know, for Philadelphia, you know. So, uh, and he's going, yeah, man, and the stage is at the top of the hill. We were all down here, and we are cheering on, and like, you know. So I listened to him, listened to him, and go, man, this guy. So he he comes down off the thing after he's done talking like that, and they're all shaking his hand and kissing him and hugging him. And I said, I said, man, I said, you know, 
I'll tell you something, man. The stage, the stage was down there. But, you know, I was trying to say low, you know? Yeah. Oh, no, no, I was here. I was here. He says, I was here. <laughs> so anyway, I said to him, I said, I have a picture. I had that picture I just told you about. I had it behind my seat in the truck. I started walking up to the truck, all the people there, and they're all talking and playing around on there. I walked up there, and I reached in the back. Of the, I reached in the back of the seat, and somebody's right behind me, and it was him. He goes, oh, no. I showed him, I said, oh, yeah, I know. He said, These, I'm a doctor from Philadelphia. These are all my interns and nurses. I've been telling them so long that I was here. I really wasn't. I just loved to be everybody. I said, man, you better get your story straight, though. <laughs> you, you, you were backwards, you know. You must have been smoking a lot of flowers back then or something. <laughs> yeah. I think Graham, I've seen Graham Nash in interviews say, like, if everybody that uh, says they were here was actually here, the like, the earth would have tilted. Yeah. Yeah, it's, Graham Nash said that. Yeah. Right. Right. I think it did tilt. <laughs> Some of the original people would come by here and really maintain a connection through the years, like Richie Havens uh, or, or Country Joe or even Melanie uh, when them would come by. Like, do you remember that at all? Richie was really a pure of heart guy, you know. Yeah. He, uh, um, he 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 had he had a great passion for what happened here, but he he would show up, uh, you know, uh, now and then. I mean, I wouldn't say a real lot, you know. He could have showed up in between. Who knew? You know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, he was all for this thing. He would as soon as somebody wanted to do something there, he was he was right on it. He wanted he wanted to be in on it too. He wanted to get really, you know, get it going right. He wanted to, he wanted to do it right, you know. And um, what happened was. Um, like when we did Day in the Garden shows, 98 and 99 there. You know, they wanted to see if uh, anybody would come. They wanted to see if too many people would come yeah. before they built this performing arts center. So everything worked out. Anyway, but, but Richie was very much involved with the, 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 with, the, uh, with the shows then, too. He played all the shows then. He'd sign autographs until the last person got the signature. He, wouldn't, he was that kind of guy. How would you sum up overall the local reaction at that time, like in, in the years immediately following the festival? How would you sum up uh, the local reaction to the festival overall? You know, you know, you have to think of the, of the local people before the festival came. You know, they thought that a bunch of lawless people were coming to invade their land. They never saw a purple feather in their life. You know, you know, the, it was jokes like the kids drive their cows to school. You know. And these people were working, hard-working people, and they didn't know what was coming down the road. They see that TVs, they see news every night about the war in Vietnam and the body bags and this and that, and on the civil unrest that was going on on the campuses of all the colleges and the, what the hippies were doing and burning up, and and, that, and that's what they they thought was coming. They thought that was coming, and they locked their doors. They locked their children in. I know people to this day. I'll tell you that I, I can hear the music, but I was in my bedroom. My father wouldn't let me out of the house. But after it was all over, you hear them talking like, I never heard so many people say, thank you, you're welcome, may I, this, that. And they're all just wonderful, wonderful. And a lot of people mellowed. But a lot of people, too, were also, sadly enough, they took it out of Max Yasker. Because, you know, Max had a big operation. He bottled and processed his own milk. He did the home deliveries and the and the school deliveries and hotels like that. And he lost uh, school contracts and, di and different things, too, with some of the hotels as a result, which was sad, because they blamed him for bringing it there. They came knocking on his door, you know. Do you know how he felt about that? Like you said, you you, you met him afterwards. Do you have any idea of how he felt? He felt, he, you know, he, he did the right thing, you know, because, I mean, he, he got a lot of fame out of it, too, but he wasn't after, he wasn't after no fame. 
you know, they had the bumper stickers, you know, uh, Yasker for president that year. And uh, Max, Max, uh, the way he said it, you know, even even Sam used to say it. His son, you know, my father always said that, you know, these kids have a right to to uh, to, to gather here, whether they dress different than we do, whether their hairstyle is different than ours, or whether their skin's a different color, whatever. They have a right to be here. It's, it's, those kids in, who are fighting in Vietnam are fighting so these kids can have that right. That's, that's how Max felt. Max felt that way. That was Max. You know, all the, all the things you guys used to do in terms of, like, you know, the drugs and things like that. And some people didn't make it out of the 60s. You know, they, they right. succumbed to drugs or alcohol and then other people have, like, survived. What's is there anything you want to say about the legacy of that, and what does it mean to you know have survived that and grown from that? Well, you know, uh, I, I speak to when I when I you know I'm retired now three years from here, but uh, I used to have to speak to uh, school groups, you know, high schools would get buses to come here all all year long in the tri-state area. When you talk about Woodstock, you know, you always get these kids when you open up for question and answer. Hey man, did you take drugs? Uh, you can't lie to these kids. Right. I can't anyway. I can't lie to them. You can't, you, you, you can't uh, soft soap it. You know, you can't sweeten it. I say, yeah. Yeah. I took my clothes off, too. <laughs> the kids will laugh, you know. But let me tell you something about drugs, man. You know, Jimmy and Janice, the king and the queen of the culture, who we all idolized, were young, talented people were dead one year later as a result of an overdose of drugs. I thought it was a wake-up call to a lot of us. Those who didn't heed that call are not with us today. So that, that's the message that I that I prevailed to the, to the students, and I and that's true. That's what it is, man. You know, I I I, I had about myself with the alcohol and then drugs. I'm in recovery, and uh, I got another shot at life. You know, I'm lucky, lucky man. talking to duke devlin tonight doing a special interview we want to get into the next segment as quickly as possible brad we've got some folks to thank don't we yes we do all right we've got uh, leona and steve leona and, and steve checking in uh and of steve course, was at woodstock so this great. is uh especially important to him and they're friends yes. of Duke. So and people... they're friends of Duke, so even more important because um, of that. So we've got two things we're talking about right now. One of them is, of course, because we're, the reason why we're talking to Duke Devlin is because we're honoring him this Saturday at the... Uh, the, the Arnold's House up in Chandelier. Yeah. Community Service Awards of WJFF. He's getting one of them. Patricia Adams is getting the other. There's still tickets available for that. You can get them online at WJFFradio.org. And uh, if you're not going to be going to that or if you'd rather, you can just support us right now during this program by giving us a call here and making a contribution of any amount. 845-482-4141 is the number. How much are tickets for that event, Jason? Um, I think it's a, it's a $100 event, and there's a, there's going to be live music. Um, speaking of Woodstock, we got Rob mm. Tellefson uh, is going to 
going to be performing there, uh, doing the, the music of Richie Havens, most likely, as right. well as some other stuff. And uh, going to have like all like like I heard there was going to be pies and bonfires at the end. I don't know oh. how much of this we can give away, uh, but there's just <laughs> sure. there's multiple facets to this. And uh, again, it's for a good cause. It's for WJFF yes. and for honoring the good work of uh, Duke Devlin and Patricia Adams, uh, respectively. Uh, voices for the Catskills. So many ways that you can support WJFF. 845-482-4141 is the way to do it right now, though. Call before the end of the hour and help continue to support your community radio station here in the Catskills. WJFF 90.5 FM 845-482-4141 or again, you can go online WJFFradio.org and support us there or again, come out to the event on Saturday at the Arnold House and Chandelier, the WJFF Community Service Awards. And the info is all up there at WJFFradio.org. It's time for the final interview segment with Duke Devlin, and this uh, takes us right up to his time as a historical interpreter at Bethel Woods. And uh, we start off asking him about uh, what sorts of reactions the artists at Bethel Woods had to being there at the original Woodstock site and how that came to be. You know, you can build a performance arts center anywhere you want. And how are you going to get people in there? It's up to you. But they built this Bethel Woods, right on and next to where the Woodstock Festival was held. You know what that did? That gave it juice, man. That gave it juice. It, auto- it automatically, it, you know, as soon as you opened the door, people wanted to buy tickets. And so it opened up with the New York Philharmonic. And then the first uh, really big show that we're going to have here was this guy called Brad Paisley. Country singer, you know. Even though I like country music, I never really liked the the, the the modern country that much. But so I was down here. They came down here to me the day before. I was, you know, doing my gig over here with the visitors, and they said, "Duke, we're bringing Brad Paisley tomorrow. He's coming in tomorrow to play. We 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 we'd like to bring him down here to meet you and have some pictures taken." I said, oh, "Fine." I said, "Who who who's Brad Paisley?" <laughs> They told, oh, yeah, yeah, he's big, he's know. They started naming songs and like that. Anyway, that night when I went home, I looked it up, you know, found a whole bunch of stuff about him. Next day, they bought him, they bought him and his wife was with him, too. And, uh, you know, she's pretty famous, too. She's an actress. And he said, Duke, do I didn't you hear Brad, Brad Paisley? I said, man, you're a singing son of a man. That's a, you're really good. I like you. <laughs> we went over here and we took a bunch of pictures and stuff and... And we got to be pretty good friends with laughing and joking, and I told them about the whole place, showed them everything, you know. And they, they, they took them back down. So when I was, my gig was done here, you know, I had all-access pass, so I went backstage. I want to see what was going on. I go backstage, and uh, Bruce Weinstein was the chief executive officer back then. And he's, I'm outside talking with him. I'm talking to him and a couple of other big shots there. And Brad gets off his bus. He comes walking over and says, hey, Duke, uh, could you do me a favor? I said, yeah, Brad, what do you want? He said, you know, like, would you take my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my sister-in-law, my, my bra- and, her, her, and her husband out on a tour like you did me? That was fantastic, he says. I said, oh, yeah, yeah. I turned to the guys. I said, I'll need a van. Get Duke a van. Get Duke a van. <laughs> right? So they got me the big van and I took him around, showed him around. Let him go. So I went back. Bruce says, we got to talk. We got to talk. We have to have something going on. So during the week we had this meeting. You know, here's what we planned. We're going to plan. We're going to give. We're going to offer these artists that perform here a tour of the Woodstock site. They seem to be interested. And um, Duke, you'll you'll do that one. Yeah, I see. I'll do it. Um, so they gave me an eight-seater golf cart, and I, of course I couldn't fit behind the wheel. 
So they had to give me a little pretty little girl to drive it for me. So anyway, that's how it started. And then we tried to do them all. And what amazed me is how the artists were enthused and excited to be here. Yeah. Just like these people who are here, you know. Even those who were here, even those who were here, they forgot what, where, what was, you know. And uh, they, they really liked it, you know. I mean, I had to conduct the New York Philharmonic. Duke, this is where all the people were, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know. You know, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, uh, I had Ringo Starr, you know. I said, you know, Ringo, this used to be a cornfield, man. You're playing in a cornfield tonight. This could be the end of a career for you, pal, you know. <laughs> He said, I played in worse places than that. That's what he said. <laughs> yeah. I will never, I mean, as long as I live, I'll never forget, here comes Duke with that eight-seater cart. And it's Duke and Lindsay and, and, and Ringo. And then it's like Todd Rundgren. There's Greg Rowley, original singer for Santana. Like, these are all guys, if they it would just come by by themselves, I'd be surprised. But, but it's also Duke and Ringo. And like, and then everybody else, and they're all just lined up. It's like, and he's like, how's the merchandise? Peace and love, you know? <laughs> Well, he he wanted no, he wanted to know about the merchandise. He has to be taken over there. You think you're a cool customer, and then you run into a beetle, and you kind of lose your marbles for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. You run into a beetle on the Woodstock side. Going back thirty years ago now with that French reporter, right? Like since then, and I would assume even up to this year, you've got people that want to interview you um, from around the country. And around the world, there's people that come here from around the world. What what do they take away from this? And and what do you think they're coming with? Why are they coming? And and what what have they encountered? And and you know, is that true? Have you met people from around the world that are looking to see what happened here? I've been doing I've been doing interviews for the last couple of weeks. You know, I've been doing here and there, but now they're starting to build up more and more. But you know, they're back because it's you know it's it's history. They'll never strike from the books that took place here 50 years ago. So now that they want to talk about it and uh, how the what what different changes have been made and you know and uh, they have to get these newsreels and, and and things done now so that they can air them when they get back to their country uh, the week or two or the week of that celebration we're having here, which is going to be really cool. You know. Why do you think they even care? Why do you care? Anyway, that's what a question that is. <laughs> What well, it's 2019, you know, yeah, it's I, I, years later. We should be, like, having flying cars and stuff, and your people are still looking at this cornfield. I, I know, but uh, it's 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 the magic of the place, you know. Like I say, it's history. It'll never strike from the book. Something very special took place here. It happened, you know. That's it. I mean, uh, they're, still coming, they're still coming day after day. You hear the car doors closing already? There's more, more. I've seen them come here in the middle of the winter. Brush the snow off, take a picture. But, the, but now it's the 50th anniversary. It's almost like it's uh, like, you know, people want to celebrate this 50th anniversary like a do-over, man. Let's do it again, you know, type feeling everybody's having. But that's not going to happen. Not going to happen. You're going to get the people. You, you, but now you know, now things are organized. You, you got traffic plans. You got this kind of plan, that kind of plan. So th- things will things will really work out, you know. It's been 50 years. If you want to send a message to the people that are still in this area 50 years from now, like what is it that you want people to take away from all this? Uh, I guess, you know, take a little piece of the spirit with you, you know. You can carry it around in your pocket, you know. It's it's good to have it. It's good to have a little peace and love with you, you know what I mean? Uh, peace and love sounds sometimes corny, but it's still peace and love, man, you know. It's still still what we, what we thrive for, you know, all of us, you know. And, you know, Woodstock opened the door to many things here. You know, 
it um, turned this community, which is an agricultural community and still is, to a, a, you know a destination, destination. And other things popped up. How about the you know how about WJFF? You know, I mean, what a, what an what an asset that is. I mean, that that's that, that's to me that's like a Woodstock offspring. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, I mean, it's entertainment, it's music, and it's, it's communication, and it's peace, and it's love. That station, you know. And uh, by the way, I used to be on the board of directors over there too at one time too. I brag about that too, man, and I have every right to, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you guys are doing a good job, and and and, and I'll tell you, what, it's going to be interesting to watch the whole thing because you're 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 the, you're, the, you're the radio station right in the backyard here, man. Yeah. Right here, right here. Well, Duke, thank, thank you so much for talking to us, and, and thank you for everything that you've done, you know, over the years for the community and for the the, the, the community, not just here in Sullivan County, but the community that, from around the world that keeps connecting with this place here in Sullivan County. All yeah, right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm looking forward to uh, Saturday night. Of course, Saturday night is the WJFF Community Service Awards. Duke's looking forward to it because he's going to be there as a guest of honor receiving an award along with Patricia Adams. All the info is up at WJFFradio.org. 845-48241 is the number to call if you would like to support. My name is Brad Mann. If you're just tuning in, Neonatal Pulse is coming up right now here on WJFF. This is WJFF Jeffersonville and W233AH Monticello. Public Radio for Sullivan County, the Catskills, and Northeast Pennsylvania, and streaming always online at WJFFradio.org. Two minutes to 8 o'clock here in Jeffersonville. Just going to take a quick look at the weather. I think it's still raining out there, yeah, well, 72 there's, degrees. There's, there's still a, 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 what is it, what's the term on the, the post-it there, a thunderstorm? Watch? Oh, a severe thunderstorm in effect. Uh, a severe thunderstorm watch that's watch. in effect until 10 p.m. tonight, and there's a flash flood watch it's in effect until midnight tonight there are still uh systems on the radar that are blowing in from the west through our listening area in northeast pa and uh also around here in Sullivan county area so keep an eye out for that if you find yourself on the road those chances of thunderstorms continuing through the night and into tomorrow with a low of 69 tonight and a high of 81 tomorrow chance of showers also continuing into tomorrow night with a low of 65 overnight and then friday and saturday highs in the 90s partly sunny stay cool stay hydrated stay in the shade on those days this weekend for sure and also stay tuned right now for neonatal pulse coming up in just a bit all new music here on wjff but i will say the pledge drive is still continuing so please show your support 845-482-4141 support comes from raptors tavern calicoon new york an intimate gathering place for food music and fun Rafters Tavern on Facebook. Support comes from you and from the River Reporter newspaper in Narrowsburg, New York, riverreporter.com. Support comes from you and from the law office of John Ferrara in Monticello, New York, providing legal services in the areas of matrimonial and family law and criminal defense. John.Ferrara557 at gmail.com. Support comes from you and from Wayne Memorial Hospital and Wayne Memorial Health System. More than 200 health care providers serving residents in Wayne, Pike, and eastern Lackawanna counties in Pennsylvania and the upper Delaware region of New York State. WMH.org.